And see, that sin even... This is a grammar joke. That sin even, even manifests itself in our statement of faith because someone left out the Oxford comma after reconciled. For those of you who like grammar, you'll, you'll get that. If not, sorry. Um, so in Genesis chapter 1, it's where we will be. Um, it is always a little dangerous to talk about ourselves, to talk about us, um, because we end up talking about ourselves instead of Christ if we're not careful. Our goal, our ultimate goal, our ultimate purpose is to glorify Him, to magnify Him, not magnify us. And yet it's necessary for us to talk about us, because the Bible does, because if we don't know who we are, we can't properly relate to God as He is. And when we talk about us correctly, it necessarily leads us to Christ. It leads us to the gospel. And that is where we're going to go this morning. So the question that philosophers and that scientists and that theologians have asked for centuries, for millennia, is why are we here? What's our purpose? And we've wrestled with that and we've argued about that and we've debated that. Um, but the Bible's relatively clear on that answer, and yet we choose to set it aside because it's old and antiquated. And well, I think I think because of science, because we've evolved to a certain place, because we've gotten smarter, we probably can answer that question better than the Bible does. Well, this morning I want to go back and and look at what the Bible says about why we are, um, and we do that by going back to where we're first mentioned and seeing if that sheds some light uh, on who we are and what God has done. So, beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, man is mentioned for the first time and we read these words, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Let's pray. Father, again, we ask that you would use your words um, to teach us, to strengthen us, but ultimately to point us to you. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Um, text says he made us in his image so the first question we need to ask is uh, what kind of image does God have if you're like me you have been getting in the mail lately uh, political flyers bunches and bunches of them and people have been calling your house with recorded message uh, to tell you either what their candidate what his image is like but more than likely, it's what my opponent's image is like. I'm going to try to brand my opponent a certain way. I'm going to give him an image, and hopefully you won't like that image, and you'll vote for me even if you don't know what I stand for, right? Because the alternative is worse than nothing, right? Badness is worse than neutralness. So the question, what kind of image does God have? Right, as Moses is writing, how is he painting God? How is he trying to, to let us know what he's like? When, when God says, let us make man in our image, what kind of image does God have so far? So we need to go back. 
How is God described? How has He mentioned? What has He been up to these last few days? Well, we read that God is a God who creates. We read that God is a God who organizes and brings order to things. He, he separates this from that. He places things where they need to be in certain places. He sets boundaries and ultimately He gives life. He creates, He orders, He gives life. Not only to vegetation, to plants, but to animals, and then finally to people. He breathes into dust and He forms man. We can, we can summarize that because we go back to verse 2, the earth was formless and void. Uh, those two words together only show up two other times, both out of prophets' mouths after judgment. It is, in one sense, the scene of chaos and things are not ordered. And so we can summarize what God has done. He gives life and He brings order from chaos. That's the image that Moses wants us to get of who God is and what He's done. God's image is He's one who brings life and He brings order from chaos. And so when we read that man is made in His image, then we should expect to see something similar. What we do is, actually, is we, we see that. And what's interesting is, that pattern continues throughout Scripture. God is continually interested in giving life to His people, carrying on lines, carrying on generations, despite ourselves, despite how we'd like to chunk it all away. He continues miracle after miracle from Abraham and Sarah to Mary and everything in between. And He continues to bring order out of chaos. God's people like to institute chaos. Again, from Abraham and Sarah going, well, we know God promised, but he seems to be slow, so let's see if we can make this work on our own. Let's bring in Hagar into the picture. Chaos. Jacob and Esau, chaos. All of Jacob's kids, chaos. And God is continually seeking to bring order back into life. And so when he creates man, is that our purpose? Again, we read... Let him rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the ground. He says, be fruitful and multiply. Chapter 2, 18, out of the ground the God, I'm sorry, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. That's not where I wanted to read. He talks about him uh, tilling and keeping the ground maintaining order. So the idea is that man does the same thing. Man is to give life. He's to be fruitful and multiply. He's also to maintain order. In the garden, amongst the animals, he's to maintain the order that God has created. But there's a problem. We're going to get to that in detail next week. The problem was sin has entered the world. Chaos has crept back in. And so really our task changed from maintaining order to, again, bringing order from chaos. I don't know about you, but I look around and, and not only is my own heart chaotic, but life around me is chaotic. So that task hasn't changed. 
We are to bring order from chaos and we are to bring life. We are to be fruitful and multiply. We are to be responsible for His creation, to rule it and care for it. What's interesting is, and, and this week is, as I have been praying specifically for every one of you, one of the things that's been on my mind is, how does what he or she does in their life, in their work, whether that's a profession, a literal profession or not, how do they bring order from chaos? And as I've been praying for each one of you and thinking, every single one of you, from the youngest one in here, who's probably Micah back there, to the oldest, we won't say who that is, Every, <laughs> every single one of us has an opportunity in what we do to bring order from chaos. Some of you in your professions, it's relatively easy, right? This is chaos, especially if you'd be driving with me right now, right? That would be chaotic. But, you know, Jeff allows me to have order, right? That's fairly simple. And for every single one of you, by name, this week I've been praying, God, help them see how their lives can bring order from chaos. And if you're not sure how that works, ask me, because I've, I've prayed for all of you this week. And thought, how does, how does that work in their life? So if you're scratching your head going, I don't know how to bring order from chaos, ask me, we can talk about that. It's amazing that God places us in situations where we have opportunities to do that. What's interesting is that there's one more idea that's maybe not necessarily evident from this text that's both true of God's image and also true of us. We read again in verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And then in the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. And then in verse 18 of chapter 2, He said, It's not good for man to be alone. And so what we see is that God, as we talked about a couple weeks back, God is Trinity. He is in relation with Himself. And out of that loving relationship, all of these things happened. We were not meant to bring life into the world and bring order out of chaos out of ourselves alone. We're meant to do that in community. We're meant to do that out of relationship. Whether that is the, the marriage relationship or just the, the body of Christ, you can't do what God has called you to do alone. It has to be done out of relationship. When we separate ourselves, when we isolate ourselves that's, that's what lions do with, with the herd, right? If I can pick out the weakness and get them by themselves, then I can devour them. We cannot bring life into our sphere of influence. We cannot bring order out of chaos in our sphere of influence unless we do that out of relationship, first of all with God, but also with one another. We need people speaking into our lives. We need to be speaking into other people's lives. So again, we bring life, we bring order, and we do that out of relationship. But turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Because if we just think about the physical, 
If we just think about our physical influence, our physical sphere, where we work, where we live, where we play, then we've missed a bigger picture. Because God is not just interested, He is, God is not just interested in the physical order because physical chaos that we experience, the physical frustrations that we experience are just symptoms of a deeper spiritual chaos that came in with the fall, again, which we'll talk about in detail next week. And what God really wants to do is to restore order spiritually with Himself and for His people with one another. And so, and now I'm going to very briefly talk about Romans 6 and 7, which we were just a second ago. You can turn there if you want to. It's not required. Again, he talked about in Romans 6 that we have died to sin, that sin is no longer master over us. And then in chapter 7, he says, and you've also died to the law. And, and then he brings in this marriage analogy, right? I can't be joined to another as long as my wife is still alive. And he, the Bible calls that adultery. But if my wife died, then I would be free to be joined with another. And Paul uses that example to say, the reason that you can be joined to Christ is because you have the law is dead to you. Right? That old relationship, that old covenant is no longer in place. So now you are free to be joined with Christ. And why? He says in verse 4 of chapter 7, Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to another. Why? I'm sorry, to him who was raised from the dead. Why? In order that we might bear fruit to God. It's that creation mandate again. Not physical children, but spiritual realities that we would bear fruit. Not just love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Not just the fruit of the Spirit, but that we would be interacting with humanity sharing the gospel with people who need it, that there might be spiritual life in other people. Being made in the image of God necessarily means that we now on this side of the cross join up with Christ that we might bear fruit to God through Christ. We won't do that through the law. And so that in 2 Corinthians 4, he fleshes that out. So if you will turn over there with me, we're going to look at some things in 3, 4, and 5. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, the very end of that verse, he said, The Spirit gives life. The Spirit gives life. I'm like, okay, all right, that's fine. Paul talked about that in Romans 6. But then he fleshes that out. And he says down in verse 8 that um, there's this ministry of the Spirit and there's this ministry of righteousness. There's a ministry of the Spirit, there's a ministry of righteousness. And he wants us to be to partake of that ministry. He says at the beginning of 4, therefore, since we have this ministry, so it's something that we have, something that we do, uh, you could translate that word service as well, 
But notice he ties both the ministry of the Spirit in verse 8 and the ministry of righteousness in verse 9 to the glory of God. And we talked about the glory of God a couple of weeks ago. What is the glory of God? Well, first, it's that thing that emanates from Him, that brightness, that radiance. But more specifically, it is His love and provision towards His people. We saw that back in um, the book of Exodus and in Ezekiel. Through Scripture, we talked about that God's glory represents His provision and His love for His people. And so this ministry of the Spirit... This ministry of righteousness is what gives life and it is this emanation of God's glory, so to speak. It's His character, it's His love and His provision extending towards other people. And He says in chapter 4, Therefore, since we have this ministry, Paul says, this ministry of giving life, it's mine. And he's wanting to pass it on to the Corinthians, which means Paul's wanting to pass it on to us. You and I, if we are believers in Christ, have this ministry of giving life, of passing that on to other people. And then he ties it back into the creation mandate. Verse 4. He's talking about some people don't, don't get it. They won't listen. He says... Verse 3, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the mind of the unbelieving. So they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, His provision and His love towards His people, who is, what? The image of God. Right? The image of, of now Christ, this glory of Christ, which is given to the people, That's the image that we are seeking to portray. How do we know that? Because in verse 7 he says, We have this treasure, referring to the glory of God, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. So the idea is it's not about us. The idea is it's, it's about God. We have this treasure. We have this glory of God, this image of Christ in us that hopefully is emanating out to the world. And so, we're to bear fruit. And then he says over in chapter 5, after a, a digression of a little bit, he says in, in verse 18, Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. See, it's, it's our job to bring glory into a chaotic world through reconciling other people to God. That is our task. What is your purpose? Your purpose is to bring life and to bring God's glory into the world for there is chaos. That is your task. How do we do that? He says in verse 20, we're ambassadors for Christ. What's an ambassador? Well, he's someone who lives in a foreign country who represents his kingdom, So, if you so speak. So that anybody that's in that foreign country who's a member of the kingdom, if they find themselves in trouble, they can come to the ambassador and say, I need help. Right? And that's what each of you are. God has placed you in a foreign place, this world, this chaotic world, and He said, you are an ambassador for Christ. 
When someone recognizes, oh, I'm, I'm living under the sway of the God of this world and, and I, I need help getting to the kingdom, they should be able to look at you and say, how do I get there? What do I do? That's your purpose. That is our purpose, is to bring the glory of God into this dark world by being ambassadors for Christ, by being available to those who are seeking God's kingdom. Yes, Paul would say, some people have their eyes blinded. They don't see. But Jesus also reminds us that the harvest is plentiful. There are lots of people who are looking around going, where is this kingdom that I know deep down is real and true? And are you and I being ambassadors? Are we bringing glory into a chaotic world? Are you bearing spiritual fruit? Those are all nice, sort of vague questions we could go home and wrestle with and answer, hopefully. But very specifically, right, there's a, this is Christ Community Church. It's in Andrews. I know a lot of you don't live in Andrews, but let's use this as an example. There's a, a town right over here. And in that town is chaos, right? Those of you who, who live here or spend any time here know that. Or if you spend time with humanity, you know that regardless, any town, whether it's Andrews or Murphy or Marble or Brasstown or Peachtree or communities like Hanging Dog, right? We know there's chaos. And if our job is to be ambassadors, if our job is to set up a little kingdom amidst the chaos, the very specific question is how do we do that? Another way of, of rephrasing that, how do we as a body add value to that town? If Christ Community Church, I don't mean the building with the sign, I mean the people of Christ Community Church. If we cease to exist, someone dropped a bomb right here and we were all gone. Again, not the building, but you as individuals. If we cease to exist, would that town know or care? Would we have, would that impact that town in a negative way? Or think about the community you live in, the place you live in. If you cease to exist, would that community know or care that you were gone? Would it matter? That's the negative way of thinking about that. The positive way of thinking about that, again, the question, how do we add value to the place where we are? And that requires us to, like God in the beginning, to be creative. What do we do as a body? What can we do as a body and as individuals to add value to the place where we are? I would love for you to think about that this week. I would love for you to pray about that this week. And then I would love as we begin our time next week to talk about that a little bit. What can you do? What should you be doing? What should we be doing? to add value to the place where we are. That's the mandate. That's your purpose, so to speak. Your purpose is to bring life into this world, spiritual life to bear spiritual fruit, and your purpose is to bring order from chaos out of relationship, both with God and with His people. And if we're not doing that, then we are missing our purpose. And so my challenge to you this morning is this week to pray 
God, am I aligned with your purpose? Or have I created another purpose that I think is more important? Gaining possessions, trying to be happy. Those purposes will ultimately frustrate you because the world is against you. The world is against your happiness. The world is against your desire to acquire for yourself because the world is selfish. And the moment you begin trying to acquire for yourself, the world's going to say, no, I want that. The moment that you begin to try to orchestrate your life so that you'll be happy, the world's going to say, but I want to be happy. And so I'm going to seek to take from you so that I have it. But if we align our lives with God's purpose, how can I bring life to somebody? How can I bring order from chaos, which usually requires us aligning with our original confession, I'm dying to self. Ultimately, that's what God has called us to do. We will not bring life unless we die to self. We will not bring order from chaos unless we die to self. And that is the call of not only God for our lives, but of the gospel of Christ. Because ultimately, that's what He did. He died to self to bring us life and to bring peace into our hearts with the God of the universe who was predisposed to wrath towards us because of our sin. He's given us spiritual life and He's given us peace with the Father. And He's called us to be in relationship with Him that we might do that for other people. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Word and the truth that's in it. God, I pray that you would encourage us this week, remind us through your Spirit to think about these things. And we ask that you, that your Spirit would bring up over and over again to us. In what ways can I bring life and order into my sphere of influence? And then, God, we ask through your Spirit, you who created all things, to give us creativity to do that in a way that brings you honor and glory, and that pleases you, and that allows others to be reconciled to you. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.